renovation our lives by going through this book. And this could be a renovation of your family. It could be a renovation of a business. It could be a renovation of a ministry, our church. It could be a renovation of your life. But Nehemiah has a lot of lessons to teach us. And so that's what we're doing. Last week, Mike had this great message on, you know, what we need to be to be, uh, to renovate. And, uh, you know, a renovation requires humility, willingness, patience, right priorities, and sacrifice. Great message. Okay. There is one other essential element we absolutely need if we're going to experience a God renovation anywhere in our lives. And that element is something called teamwork. Okay. There is no growth. There's no renovation. There's no real rebuilding without others. Even if it's just you, you're going to need a team of people around you to help you grow. And that's that. The rule of thumb is this. No one grows alone. No one grows alone. We experience God. We reflect Christ together. Okay. That's just how that works. I can't really experience God apart from you. I definitely can't reflect Christ apart from you or you from me. We need each other. We need to learn how to become a team at every level of our existence. It's a team effort. And in Nehemiah, we get to see a God team in action. And it shows up in chapter 2 and in Nehemiah's first actions. In Nehemiah 2, verses 11 and 12, Nehemiah goes out at night and assesses the work that needs to be done. It says, I went to Jerusalem after staying there three days. I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts except uh, the one I was riding on. So Nehemiah goes on this moonlight, you know, ride around to see how bad it is and what needs to be done. Then in verses 17 and 20, this is what happens next. He goes to the people and he says, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. In this little speech, of what we see are some key elements that are necessary for us to become a God team, to become a team together. The first thing we need to notice is they were willing to work. Every last one of them, last sentence in verse 18, it says, you know, Nehemiah gives a speech. And this, what they said was, okay, let's, let's start rebuilding. And they began, you know, this good work. They didn't complain. They didn't come up with excuses. They didn't go, well, can we do this tomorrow? You know, this is a bad time for me. You know, I got stuff going on. And, you know, it's the COVID epic. I can't, you know, I'm not feeling too. I mean, they didn't come up with anything. Let's do it. And they began to work. And to see how much work was involved, to see this, we're going to have to go to chapter 3. Okay, so look over in chapter 3, because in chapter 3, we get an overview of the whole work. Now, when we get to chapter 3, we are confronted with this really, one of these chapters you want to skip over, because it's all these Hebrew names that are hardly pronounceable. Look at it. it you know, and I, 
I, I have the tools I could go find. I wasn't going to waste time figuring out how to pronounce these. I'm definitely not going to read the chapter to you. Yay! You know, it's, it's not that bad. And so, and along with the, with the names, there's all this tedious recording of all the various gates and landmarks of how the job went out. And you and I, we have no clue what they're referring to. It's like, what's that? Okay. However, the gates and the landmarks became the means to break this humongous project into smaller parts that each little group was able to take on as a team. Okay. And that's what they did. So I'm obviously not going to read the whole chapter, but with this map up on the screen, okay, I'm going to kind of show you what chapter three looks like in what it actually describes. This is a map of what the walls probably looked like in the days of Nehemiah. That's just kind of what it looked like. Okay. Okay. Lisa, you ready? Kurt, you ready? Okay. So let's see what happened. Verses one and two, Eliashib, the high priest, and all his fellow priests will rebuild what was known as the sheep gate, as far as something called the tower of hundred and the tower of Hananel. And along with that, men from Jericho and others built the section up to what was called the fish gate. So that's the first line. Verse 3, the fish gate was rebuilt by a whole family of workers. Okay. Verse 4, a group of workers, including some men from a place called Tekoa, built the wall up to what was called the Jeshana gate or the old gate. Now, in verse 4, this is interesting. We're told that there was a group of nobles who did not put their shoulder to the work. They weren't interested in helping out. We're going to run into these guys again. Okay, but they, I don't know if they thought it was beneath them. What we find out later is they were benefiting from the status quo. They were some of these people who were getting benefit out of it, but they weren't putting anything into it. These guys were not team players. They weren't willing to work. And like I say, we're going to run into these guys in later chapters. Okay, verse six, the old gate was repaired by a couple of other leaders and their workers. Verse 7 and 9, some men from Gibeon, along with some couple other leaders, restored most of what was called the broad wall. Verse 10, the next grouping of workers restored the wall as far as the tower of ovens or furnaces. In verse 11, a couple other leaders repaired a section of the wall uh, and the actual tower of ovens. In verse 12, a guy by the name of Shalom repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. Okay. Yeah, okay, I was wondering. Verse 13, the valley gate. This is a gate that was on the south. It looked into the valley. It was, it was one of the, it was a beautiful gate. Great view. It was repaired by a large group of workers along with 500 yards of wall as far as what was called the refuse gate. In verse 14, the actual refuse gate, it's also called the dung gate, was repaired by a group of workers. Verse 15, there's a gate called the Fountain Gate, and it was repaired along with a stretch of wall extending to what was called the Pool of Siloam. In verse 16, a group of workers made repairs up to a point opposite the tombs of David. And now I, I'm starting to guess here. Verses 17 through 26, I confess, I, I, I'm guessing here, okay? And probably some experts could tell you what was actually going on here. But I'm guessing in verses 17 through, uh, through, 17 through 19, a bunch of, well, I missed it there, yeah, verses 17 through 19, a bunch of Levites, along with a number of others, repaired the walls up to the angle. In verses 20 through 22, another group of workers restored the wall to the entrance of Elisha's house. And now I'm really guessing, verses 23 through 26, the repairs on this outer wall to a point opposite of the water gate 
was this outer wall that got repaired, I'm guessing. In verse 27, the men of Tekoa again repaired another section of wall from the projecting tower to the wall of Ophel and possibly what's called the horse gate. Verses 28 and 29, above the horse gate was repaired by the priests again along with some other workers and they probably repaired the east gate. And finally, in verse 30, a group of workers restored the wall to the corner and then back to the sheep gate. You get the picture there? And that's really what they're describing here. They just give you more detail than we want. But it gives you an idea of the amount of work. Now, here's the deal. The total length of all the walls was about two and a half miles. Okay, that's a lot of wall. You think, well, okay, two and a half miles. But get this, the average height of the wall was 40 feet. The average thickness was eight, about eight and a half feet. Okay. Furthermore, the walls contain 34 watchtowers and eight gates. That is a lot of stinking work. I mean, those we're soft. I don't think we could have done it. Any, any average American would have died the first day. These guys just went out, let's do this. And they just, I mean, this is what they're doing. But what you see here, every member on the team was willing to work. And as we get into later chapters, you're going to be blown away by what these guys had to do to keep working. Okay? It gets, it gets harder. And it's not just building walls. We learn later, they had the rubbish they had to take care of. It's not just the building. It's all the garbage left behind. They had to get rid of that too. It's, it's just kind of overwhelming. But every member was willing to work. And... You know, I guess the question is, are we willing to work? Sometimes I think we expect God to come in and wave a magic wand and fix our lives. God, fix my marriage while I watch Netflix. You know, help us rebuild the church, you know, while we go play around to golf. I don't, God doesn't work that way. God has the power. He could do it. But he wants to work in us and through us. And in order for that to happen, God's people, a God team, everybody has to be willing to put their shoulder to the work and do their part. Like Mike said last week, we need to be willing to sacrifice. And these guys made sacrifices. So here we are as a church. Are we willing to work? Have you considered all the jobs that need to be done for us to do what we do? Kudos to Scott Smith, who yesterday came out, pressure washed the fence out here. I don't know if you've seen it. Maybe you didn't even notice it. This fence is all Grow, I mean, it's just, it just looks horrible. And it said, I, he came to me, I can't take it anymore. You know, show me where the pressure washer is. And so we set him up and he's going to continue. And, you know, it looks great. But it's not just the fence. There are a lot of people who just do stuff around here. Kurt Eiler, he's kind of an unsung hero. He's constantly, we, we've, we threatened to put a bed in and just let him sleep here because he's always doing stuff. His latest project, you might not notice, but up here on the stage, I don't know if you see that behind the screen, this beam that goes across, that's all electrical. He, it's, he's wired it. We have a whole new set of plugins. There's lights that we can turn on the back so that we can actually see baptisms because up until this time, yeah, to get light back there, we had to string electrical cords and it got kind of dicey when you have a baptism with a full of water. <laughs> You get the point? It's like, we want to baptize them and bring them in. We don't want to send them to heaven right then, you know. <laughs> but that's what, you know, it was just, this is the stuff we've been wrestling with. And so he just finally did this. And it's amazing what he's done back there. And that's just one of the things he does. And then there's tons of, there's people who take out the trash. There's people who, well, set up chairs. Some of you help with that, tear them down. 
Um, there's the people who take care of the kids on Sunday mornings and the children and the nurseries, the small groups, I'm office work. I mean, I could go on and on. I'm missing people that do stuff, janitorial and, you know, even potlucks when people bring food. Everybody has a job and understand there's just a lot. Bookkeeping, you know, Roberta does our bookkeeping for us and that's just amazing. And it just goes on and on. Are we willing to work? And see, most churches get stopped because only 10% of the people are doing 90% of the work. So are we willing to work? So let's go back to Nehemiah's speech in chapter 2. They were not only willing to work, they were willing to work together. Now there's a concept. As you go through this, it's this guy and this people working next to these. It's next to, next to, next to, everywhere. And in Nehemiah 2.17, we get the clue that they're a team and work together. And this is what Nehemiah says. You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. Notice the pronouns, we and us. Nehemiah didn't say, I want to rebuild the walls. Who's going to help me? He didn't say, you guys need, you know, to rebuild the walls. I might help you. No, he said, look at the problem we're facing together. It's we and us. Let us go do this thing. And they said, let us, let us do it. And that's how a God team works. The God team in this case was united by two factors. They were united by a common burden, a problem that they were facing together. And in this case, it was looked like the walls and the city was broken down, but it was more, it's more, it's not just about the broken walls. It was about a broken people. Okay, the walls, the broken walls symbolized a broken people. And in their minds, this is what it was. Here they were, God's chosen people, God's chosen treasured possession. They were supposed to be a light to the nations. They were supposed to reveal, reflect, experience God, and reflect Christ to the nations. And here they were, a broken people in a broken city. And they were living in dishonor and disgrace and shame. Not just to themselves, but to their God. And there came a point they couldn't handle it any, any longer. They were bound together by that. So when Nehemiah says, look at the disgrace they're in, they're going, yes, we're united in that. We don't want to see that anymore. And you see, we as a church, were united by a common burden. Maybe not broken walls like this. But there's a lost world out there. There's people out there who see the church as a broken, meaningless bunch of hypocrites. Do you see the disgrace we're in? Do you see how the world sees us? Are we a reflection of Christ to them? And we shake our heads, no, most of the time we're not. But we can rebuild the walls. We can rebuild God's city. We can be the kingdom of God. And so we are united by a common burden. But that's the other thing. They were also united by a common vision or mission. To rebuild. Okay? And no one in the group said, that's not my problem. You guys go do it. Every single one of them says, we're behind this. And they were not working for Nehemiah. 
They were not working for themselves. They were working for the honor of God. And so at this church, we, you don't work for me or Mike. We are all united by our passion and our love and our commitment to serve the God who gave us his son to die for us on the cross and rose from the dead. He's the one we're supposed to experience. He's the one we're supposed to reflect. He's the one we live for. That's our mission. And we can get behind that. And that unites us as a team. And so they were united by their commitment. Now let's go back to chapter 3 real quick because there's some other insights into this chapter that show us how some of these people were willing team members. Verse 1, we get back there, starts with Eliashib. Eliashib's the high priest. He's the top guy on the spiritual hierarchy. And all along the other priests, they were the spiritual leaders that day. The whole project starts out with these guys being willing to get their hands dirty and start the work at the sheep gate. They began. Okay? So you got the leader. There's nobody who's above the work. They dig in. Verse, jump down to verse 5. These men of Tekoa are interesting. They build a section of the wall, and we're going to come back to them. By the way, again, the nobles, you know, again, they're wanting to enjoy the benefits without putting anything in. This is called consumerism. They were consumers. They weren't team members. And so we always have to be on our alert of us becoming consumers. The church becoming a performance where it's all about what am I getting? People leave a church. Yeah, I just wasn't getting anything out of it. You know, it's all about us. And so the nobles are an example of what not to go. But the men of Tekoya, we're going to come back to them. Verse 8. Uziel was a goldsmith. He repaired a section of the wall. Hananiah, a perfume maker, made repairs next to that. Now, these guys were not builders by trade. You got a jeweler. You got a perfumer out there building walls. No one said, that's not my gift. That's not my thing. You had people from other occupations, other trades, figuring it out, going in and doing the work. Okay, team players just do what needs to be done sometimes. If you've been in the church a while, you know how that works. Sometimes stuff needs to be done. You don't want me looking after kids. But guess what? I've looked after kids. I've been with the twos and threes before. I try to stay out of the nursery. Man, I just, I don't know. There's, there's a limit. And that's just for your sake and the kids' sake. But, you know, I'm doing to do anything. And I probably have. Some, well, like I say... Everything once, most things twice, kind of that one kind of deal. And then verse 12. This is, I love this. Shalom, a ruler. He's a ruler again. He's not some common word. He's like a ruler in Jerusalem. Repaired a section with the help of his daughters. Now you'd think that wall building was a work for men. Are any of you starting to bristle? You know, wall building is no more just for men then taking care of kids and babies is just for women. Chew on that. When you're a team player, you just do what needs to be done regardless. Josh looks after our nurse. Thank you, Josh, for stepping up for that because we always need people. And so here's a guy who's willing to suck it up. Team builder, team player. And I just think that's, that's cool. Verse 14, I love this. The refuse gate was repaired by another ruler named Malkajah. Malkajah. The refuse gate was commonly called the dung gate. Can any of you guess why it was called the dung gate? Yeah. 
Yeah, okay. So it leads to the place where they deal with refuse and dung. Can you just see people, I want to work on that gate. Can I work on that gate? So you can work on the fountain gate or the dung gate. Which would you choose? You see what I'm saying? We're getting a sense of what team players look like. These guys were willing to work and work together. It didn't matter. Okay, I just love it. Verse 20 is interesting. There's this guy by the name of Baruch, son of Zabai. He repaired a section. And out of all the other workers, it says he repaired his section zealously. Now, have any of you worked with people who they work, but they're kind of like dragging their feet, grumbly, in church? Yeah. But not Baruch. And see, when you're on a team, it's really exciting to have a zealous person because they energize everybody else. Right, Mike? You need a few zealous people because they like get you charged up. These guys are team captains. They're like, go, go, go. We can do this, guys. You know, you're all beat up. And there's a, you need some zealous people. Some of you guys need to be zealous and let it, your, your enthusiasm infect others. In fact, when you get the whole team zealous, man, that gets scary good. Really good stuff. And then finally in verse 27, we have these men of Tekoa again repairing another section of the wall. And these guys were mentioned back in verse 5. Quite often we find ourselves thinking, I've done my part, right? Let someone else step in. But here we find these men of Tekoa jumping in and taking on another whole section of wall. I have, had, I have had this experience of talking to older Christians in the church, asking them to do something. And they have told me to my face, oh, let some of the younger people done it. I've done my time. Ouch. May that never be me. I've known other Christians who they're in, they're in the saddle to the day they die. They're serving God right up until their funeral. It's like, and that's what I want to be. I don't know about you. If it all, my memory will go before that, but we'll see what happens. It's already going. And so from the least to the greatest, regardless of what jobs they normally worked at, regardless of where they came from, uh, regardless of their socioeconomic bracket, both men and women, uh, these people united together to do a great work. And a lot of these were, uh, jobs they took on were close to where they lived. They would take on a section of the wall close to where they lived. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with taking on projects or ministries that are close to home for us. But sometimes we have to work outside that for the sake of the greater community. And that's what we see going on here. And so we're united by a common burden. We're united by a common mission. And together we reflect experience God and reflect Christ. It makes me think of Ephesians 4.16. From him, Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What a picture. That's us. Okay, we're willing to work. Are we willing to work together even when we would do things differently? Even though we irritate each other? Even though, you know, it goes on. These guys somehow were willing to overlook the stuff for the sake of the greater mission. All right, let's go back to Nehemiah's speech real quick here. Sorry, I'm going over. Not only were they willing to work, not only were they willing to work together, they were willing to work with God. And this is the most important. Look what Nehemiah says in chapter 2, verse 18. And I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king said to me. Because that whole thing was a God deal. God made it happen. So they're willing to work, work, work together but they were willing to work 
by trusting and relying on God's ability. This was, they were willing to work for God, but especially they were willing to work with God's assistance and reliance because this job was too big for them. And it's a miracle they did what they did. God's all over this. It was a God job. He's a God team. And so Nehemiah calls upon them to trust in God. We're doing this for God. We're doing this by relying on him because God's with us in this thing. And I could say the same thing with us. We have a mission, but it's, we don't do it on our own. God helps us. Let's put our trust in God. And it wasn't just the work. What we discover in Nehemiah, there were people who were against them. There were serious opponents and adversaries who wanted to stop them. In verse 19 of chapter 2, it says, When Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshub the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. And they did more than that as we get into the later chapters. And in verse 20, Nehemiah says, And I answered them by saying, The God of heaven will give us, give me success, us success. And that's what he'll do for us too. Nehemiah put his faith in God. He didn't give them a positive psychology pep speech. He says, our God will help us. Our God will give us success. And that's how it always has to be. But we have to be willing to trust him. I can't do it. Mike can't do it. We can't do it. But God can. And that's so important. And you see, God specializes in hopeless renovation projects. You ever felt like your renovation project is a little hopeless? Nothing can fix this. No one can fix this one. I got news for you. God can. No one's beyond help because he can fix it. Because when God's on your side, the unlikely becomes likely. The improbable becomes probable. The impossible becomes possible. Because with God's with us, nothing is impossible. And we have to have that if we're going to be a team, a God team for God. And so I'm going to leave with you the question, are you willing to become a part of God's renovation team? Are you willing to work work together? Are we willing to work with God? Let me close a little story. A large group of ants found their way to a picnic. Yay! Okay, they're having a good time. And so they're just, they're just descending on this thing. And they individually take crumbs several times their size back to the colony. You weren't supposed to show this slide yet. It's okay. It's out there. So just leave it up. It, it kind of spoiled the end of the story, but that's okay. Anyhow, they're unable. They come to this crack and they're unable to get the food across this crack in the pavement. And so they, they're just congregating. There's a, it's just this bottleneck, and they find, like, what are we going to do? And they do what ants do. They said, hey, let's just make a bridge with our bodies. And so they just started making a body, and then people started crawling over the bodies. Now that is what I call teamwork. Are we willing to become this kind of team? I think the story speaks for itself. Let's all stand for a closing word of prayer. Father, you are so awesome. And I guess one of the greatest miracles that would speak to this world of your truth and your love is us working together, relying on you, that the world might see Jesus in us. And may that happen here. We don't know what it's going to look like because you're the architect. But Father, we all put ourselves in your hands. Help us to do the work in your kingdom, to build your kingdom in the way you want us to, 
right here in this community, at this place, in this time. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.